Good evening, I'm Eric Erickson here at WSB in our live lounge. We continue our conversations with Georgia's gubernatorial candidates in the 2018 Republican primary. Joining me, State Senator Michael Williams, who represents Forsyth County, got into the legislature picking off a Republican, powerful Republican incumbent in a Republican primary, had the odds stacked against him and yet was still able to rally Forsyth County to him. Now he wants to rally Georgians across the state for his nomination for Georgia governor. Thanks for joining me. Oh, thanks for having me. And I also have to say uh, a big part of that victory was uh, you and well, the endorsement you gave us. So. I, you were one so of the very few that. candidates I got out on the campaign trail for and was glad to get you in the yeah. state Senate. Um, so as I mentioned before we got on air, this is, I've been telling people, these are more probative. We've got five of you running so far mm -hmm. in the Republican primary. And it's your chance in the next hour to really explain to people why, what set you apart why they should vote for you. And to begin with that, just to get to your background, why does a successful businessman decide to pick a fight in a Republican primary and get in the legislature? <laughs> that's a, that's a, gr a great question. And for me, uh, it, it stems to the, the frustration that I've experienced running a small business. Uh, I used to own a, a chain of barbershops called Sport Clips Haircuts. I had 18 locations, 160 employees. I uh, barely made it through the 2008 financial crisis, uh, started to hit on all cylinders again, and then Obamacare came into play. And I didn't see how my small business could afford the weight that has become Obamacare. Uh, I ended up selling it, and again, just, just frustrated with what was going on, I decided it was time to just stop complaining about it and, and do something about it. And, and like you mentioned, uh, I ran against a longtime entrenched Republican uh, to, to, to win the Senate seat that I have. And when I got down there at the Capitol, I learned very quickly the people of Georgia are not represented in their state government. It's the lobbyists, the special interests, and big corporations that control uh, the state. And uh, that's one of the reasons why I'm out here running right now, so we can give our government back to uh, the people of Georgia. And it was also the reason why I was the first elected official to come out and support Donald Trump whenever he ran, because I knew he wasn't going to be beholden to uh, those groups, and we see what he's doing right now for our country. Well, it, along those lines, you mentioned the beholden interest. The, we allowed listeners to submit questions. Mm -hmm. The number two most asked question uh, from listeners uh, across the WSB audience was uh, essentially that they believe that the state spends a lot more time and money attracting businesses to come into the state than they do propping up and helping businesses already in the state. Uh, what's your view on that being in the legislature? Absolutely, I agree 100% with that. And again, let's just look at Amazon. Um, I've been the only candidate right now that's been vocal against not necessarily Amazon coming to Georgia. Again, I'd love them to come to Georgia, but the cost that it's going to cost us to, 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 to bring Amazon to our state. The numbers I'm reading, New Jersey's already offered $7 billion. That's B with a billion. Uh, I've read reports where it's going to be 9 to $11 billion that Amazon wants. That's $200,000 for 50,000 50, jobs, uh, per, per job. And that's about a 100-year payback. So why are we giving our tax money to a large, the largest corporation in the world to come here to Georgia when we have small businesses around the state uh, that, that, that could benefit from it. One of the uh, stories I like to tell is there's a guy right now in Forsyth County. He has $10 million. He's ready to invest. Uh, he wants to open up a distillery where he can age whiskey a little bit faster, but uh, the state of Georgia won't give him a license because his wife owns a bar. And because of the three-tier system in Georgia, which is a protected lobbying group, uh, he's going to have to go out of state. So we're chasing away small business with our with the lobbyists and, and the, the funds they're, they're giving the, the 
candidate. You know, we've run into these fights before, particularly with the the breweries being able to sell beer. It seems like we have a very archaic 19th century very much so. system for that particular area. Very much so. Again, it was it dates back all the way uh, after Prohibition. Uh, they passed a law that said if you are a, a producer of alcohol, you cannot sell it to the the end consumer. You have to sell it to to a middleman. So again, it's it's a monopoly that's protected. By, by government regulations and those, uh, those lobbyists that uh, represent the businesses in that industry uh, that they dole out the cash. Now, on small business, is there a way in your mind that we can balance helping Georgia small businesses while also trying to attract outside businesses? Absolutely. Again, as, as a business guy, one of the things that, that you look at is the regulatory environment in which you're going to go into. And, and again, when you have some archaic laws that are protected by a lobbyist, look at Tesla. Uh, it was just a couple of sessions ago we passed a bill that allowed Tesla to sell, I think it's like 300, 500 cars right now, where before it was, it was very limited in what, what they can sell. So if we can get, again, some of these archaic regulations off our books, make it easier for businesses to, to come in and to open, as well as eliminating our state income tax. We're surrounded by states that have a lower income tax and some have no income tax. And if we can do that, I think it can uh, encourage small business as well as bringing new businesses in without having to give our tax dollars uh, to big corporations. That was actually one of the, the, the number one question from listeners was on the income tax and what we should do with it. There was an article in the AJC a week or so ago that it looks like the state may be in for a windfall of additional revenue because of it should the state give a tax cut. Yeah, because of, again, the tax breaks that Trump uh, championed through uh, the House and the Senate and signed into law, there's going to be about a three, three and a half billion dollar windfall to the state. So what are we going to do? I guess it's a perfect opportunity to just start to lower the state income tax. We, we could pass a bill right now that says instead of being six, down to five, maybe in four, four and a half percent and not be affected at all uh, because of that windfall that's coming. How do you, the governor has said he's worried about if something happens to the economy, having a rated day fund set aside so that we aren't in situations other states have been in where Republicans cut taxes and then suddenly realize they had to raise taxes again. So there's a question about yeah, uh, how, how, do you, how do you make that balance between a rainy day fund and, and actually cutting the taxes? Well, right now we have, uh, I believe, the largest rainy day fund that, that we've ever had. It's over $2 billion, so there's, there's, there's a lot of money in there. And uh, again, uh, we, let's go back to our budget. We've gone from a $15 billion budget to a $26 billion budget in, in eight years. We're getting tons of money in and we're spending tons of money. There's opportunities there for us to tighten that, uh, that belt and actually reduce the size of government. So I, I'm not worried about uh, us not having enough money because plenty's coming in. What about your thoughts on transitioning, if we've got this windfall coming, use it to pad the, pad the budget, so to speak, to transition from an income tax into just a sales tax like Tennessee and Florida? As far as like lowering the income, the yeah, income tax? What about moving, getting rid of the income tax altogether over time and, and pivoting to what uh, Texas and Tennessee and Florida are doing with just a state sales tax and Yeah, absolutely. Taxes. The fair tax model? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I absolutely support the fair tax model. Again, with this windfall that we're estimated to get from the, the tax breaks from Trump, uh, we can start to lower that, that income tax, again, from 6%, maybe down to 5 4.5%. Uh, once we kind of transition from that, then lower it again, and then move on over to the, uh, the fair tax model. Backing out of this line of question for a little bit, going back to you being a small businessman, with the legislature being part-time, and I think if I understand right, you've divested yourself of, of the barbershops. Correct. What keeps you busy outside the legislature these days, other than your family? <laughs> uh, well, yeah, my, my family, i got to say my wife is here with a little brain. I don't know if you heard the, the crying baby. Yes. It's actually my, my, my little daughter. <laughs> so uh, I spend a lot of time with the family. And 
Also, whenever uh, uh, Trump was running, I was I said the first elected official back in September 2015 to come out and endorse uh, Donald Trump for president. I campaigned across the state, and once he became the nominee, I was a surrogate for him traveling across the country campaigning for him. So uh, I've kept myself pretty busy uh, out there just uh, working for the president and uh, working for the people of Georgia. Nice. What's it like? Can you describe having been a small businessman, you get into the legislature, you haven't been there, how many, has it been six years? No, four, no. Four years? <laughs> no, I've been down there three years three since years. the beginning okay. of my fourth yeah. year. It yeah. hasn't been that yeah. long. And so now you're going from that into a statewide gubernatorial race. Um, what is that like for, for listeners who can't even imagine get, having to travel to five counties in a day? You're going all over the place. We are traveling quite a bit. I was talking to another statewide candidate who was uh, talking about how many miles they put on their car and, and the, the different sets of tires they've had to put on. Well, <laughs> I'm on my second car now. <laughs> so that's how much we're, we're traveling, but uh, I, I enjoy it. We have a beautiful state. We have a lot of uh, great people here in the state, a lot of uh, good patriots and passionate people that love their country, love their families, uh, just want to have a, a state they can uh, be proud in, that they can have their business in, make a you know, good job in. And uh, it's been it's been very enjoyable for me. As a small businessman, and, and you've been down to the southern end of the state, you've seen a lot of the agriculture down there. There seems to be an urban-rural divide, even among Republicans now, on yeah. where do we go with immigration and, and what do we do? Uh, what are your views on the immigration situation at DACA? It's uh, interesting you mentioned that. Actually, today from the Senate well, I talked about the young man that was killed uh, this past weekend by an illegal alien who was... Uh, he grew up here in Atlanta. He was playing football for the Indianapolis Colts. Uh, he was struck by an illegal alien who had been deported twice. He was driving drunk. He'd already been convicted of drunk driving before in California. Uh, so this young man's life could have been saved had we had better immigration policies that were enforced. And one of the things we need to do here in Georgia is work on getting these illegal aliens, especially those that continually commit crime and break laws, out of out of our country, out of our state. And one of the ways that I feel like we can do that, uh, definitely defund sanctuary cities. That's what all the other candidates are talking about right now. But that doesn't help us to identify those that are actually uh, these, these criminals that continue to break the law. There's a program called the 287G Deportation Program where we can deputize sheriff's deputies as ICE agents. So once they arrest somebody that's an illegal alien for committing yet another crime, we can begin the deportation process immediately and get them out of our country. Why haven't we done that? <laughs> that's I a mean, great question this, and, is, this seems yeah. to be a, a frustration I get from listeners all the time we have a, a Republican House a Republican Senate a Republican governor and it seems like everyone's still thinking like they still have a D next to their name well no it, it's, it's it, you actually kind of stole that line that there's a part of my closing remarks that I gave out in Savannah was that exact thing you know we have Republican governor for almost uh, 16 years now Republican controlled House and Senate for over a decade but can you really tell any difference and again the same people that controlled our government then still controls it now through the lobbyists, the big corporations, and the special interests. They are the ones that, that control our state. Until we find somebody and elect somebody that's not going to be beholden, basically bought and paid for by those groups, we're going to get the same results that we've gotten. We're going to take a quick time out here on WSB. You're listening to Eric Erickson with State Senator Michael Williams running for governor. When we come back, we'll get into his vision for the state. What would a Michael Williams administration look like? Religious liberty and questions from the crowd. 
Y'all, for the past two months, I have been using a new electric toothbrush that I was really just about to order one of these. I saw it on Instagram. Then they reached out and asked if they could be a podcast sponsor for the show, and I said yes. And the reason I wanted one is because the regular electric toothbrush I had been using, the head is so big, I've been using the Invisalign braces, and it's really awkward to get this toothbrush in my mouth. It's one of the store-bought ones. You know the brand. And it's just not comfortable. I used it for a couple of weeks and just stopped using it, went back to a regular old toothbrush. So when I saw Quip, I decided I'd give it a try. Uh, The cool thing about Quip, it's an electric toothbrush, but there's no charger. You don't have to worry about putting it on a charger every day. It's designed conveniently so you can use batteries. It's backed by a network of over 10,000 dental professionals, including dentists, hygienists, and dental students. And you know, one of the cool things is that you've got a subscription plan with Quip. They refresh your brush on a dentist recommended schedule, delivering new brush heads every three months for just $5 including free shipping worldwide. Cool thing. Quip starts at just $25, and if you go to getquip.com slash Eric, remember, E-R-I-C-K, right now, you'll get your first refill pack free with a Quip electric toothbrush. That's your first refill pack free at getquip.com slash Eric. It's spelled G-E-T-Q-U-I-P dot com slash E-R-I-C-K. I have really enjoyed using this as a toothbrush. It has a timer every 30 seconds. It pulses, so you know when you get to the two-minute mark, it turns off at two minutes, so you get the two-minute recommended brushing that your dentist says, and you can time it based on those pulses to get the top, the bottom, the front, the back. I've really enjoyed using an electric toothbrush for the first time ever. Go to getquip.com slash today. Get yours for $25. Welcome back. This is Eric Erickson here on WSB. I've got State Senator Michael Williams with me. He's crisscrossing the state in his bid for the gubernatorial nomination for the Republican Party. Uh, Michael, there are five of you right now. There may be more who get into this race. What sets you apart from the field? What I like to remind everybody, again, is what we've been talking about, how uh, you can't really tell the difference between Republicans, Democrats. They they control the state now. Um, and, and it's really the, the lobbyists, special interests, big corporations that are controlling that through the donation process. We already talked a little bit about Amazon, you know, bringing in, in, in big corporations. And when you look at disclosures, uh, you'll see where these candidates are getting money from Mercedes, from Caterpillar, from uh, Gulfstream. All those are big companies that we bought to come into to our state. Through the donation process, uh, they're able to control these candidates. I'm the only candidate out there right now that is primarily self-funding my own campaign and relying upon the small dollar donations out there from the hardworking Georgians. Um, in fact, a story I like to tell is when the AJC did an article about uh, disclosures when they first came out last summer, they actually uh, were going through kind of identifying all the big wigs and all that were donated to my, my opponents, and they made fun of a bartender that donated to me for $3. And they said, look at who supports Michael Williams. And I said, exactly. That's who we want out there supporting a candidate so that when they get elected, when I get elected, I can represent the people of Georgia, not the special interest big corporations in uh, the wealthy elite. Regarding special interests, so we were talking about this during the commercial break. We could go through on Amazon and say what New Jersey or Illinois offered, what Texas has offered, but... You and I can't say what George offered because no, no one is allowed to know what it's a, George it's offered. It's a secret. You know, we're, we're, we're offering billions of dollars, but nobody can know about it. Uh, that, that's, that's one of the things that, that's frustrating for me is the lack of transparency 
and not just in that, but in the, the, the legislative process to begin with. Uh, we can have uh, committee meetings where we're talking about bills, uh, where people are invited, but then once it goes through the process, it could end up going into a small room with only three senators and three House members discussing whatever they want to talk about, and then we only have an hour to vote on it. That's called the, uh, the conference committee process, and there's no transparency to it, and anything can be, be put into that bill. So it's one of the things that we need to do here in Georgia is uh, provide some sunshine on what happens underneath the Gold Dome. If you're not taking contributions from a lot of the corporations, and, and which legally in Georgia you can, yeah. um, it seems like it may be a, you're going to have to spend a lot of your own personal money to make this happen with, with 159 counties out there and, yes. and yeah, crisscrossing the state. I don't see my wife in the room right now, but yeah. <laughs> it's going to be a lot. It's going to be expensive. And, and But now you've got, for example, you've got another businessman entering the race whose um, essential argument is that the rest of you guys are already tainted by being in the process. I mean, how, how do you view taint in the process with yourself being there? Yeah, well, well for me, you know, the, the, the outsider candidate, uh, you can be as much of an insider and not hold elected office as somebody that's a hold elected office. Again, it's where does the money come from? And the candidate that's saying that, when disclosures come out a couple days, I believe uh, he's going to have a lot of money coming from the same groups of people, the Georgia Chamber of Commerce and all of that that's financing his campaign. So, uh, again, it, it, it's, it's, you got to look at where the money's coming from, where's that influence going to be. When we come back, the rural-urban divide, religious liberty, and questions from the crowd. It's 36 after the hour. I'm Eric Erickson here on News 95.5 AM 750 WSB with State Senator Michael Williams running for governor as a Republican. Uh, gets, what, four other candidates thus far in the Republican primary. When does qualifying actually happen? At some time in March. I don't know the exact after, day. But after the legislature. March, yeah. Yeah. Well, it's during. It's during. Oh, it is during. Yeah, oh. It, 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 I don't know if you mean to go down this road, but uh, what we'll see sometimes happen is uh, the lobbyists will hold their controversial bills back until qualifying so that we can figure out, they can figure out uh, who has opponents, who doesn't have opponents, and if they don't have opponents, they can vote for a controversial bill. So again, everything <laughs> that is done down there right. is by design to get the lobbyists and special interests what they want and not the people of Georgia. Wow. So one of the big issues that lobbyists are having a real impact over, there was the Rural Study Committee. Uh, one of the proposals that came out unanimously from that committee is swapping out the franchise fee that are in uh, cell phone bills and whatnot and moving it over to a sales tax that could potentially be used against Netflix, iTunes, yeah. Spotify, things like that. Um, regardless of the merits of that proposal, there is a real growing, it seems like, and substantive divide between rural Georgia and the Atlanta area. Um, I mean, for example, I've encountered, in fact, we had several questioners uh, who were asking, uh, referring to the North Georgia Mafia, not, not meaning Forsyth County, but the, yeah, the Gainesville, Gainesville. Yeah, yeah, yeah. from the governor, the lieutenant governor, the, the speaker of the house, uh, a feeling like that area of the state, that rural area of the state is, is starting to grow. What about the south end of the state? And it, you, I encounter all over south of I-20 people who feel like the rest of the state is being forgotten as Atlanta organically or through policies growing towards Birmingham and Charlotte. Um, basically, the, the, the two Georgias, there's Atlanta, then there's, there's the rest of Georgia. And uh, I believe you're talking about the, the Rural Study Committee, we're talking about getting right. rural broadband mm -hmm. uh, out to, uh, to Georgia. And conceptually, 
I agree 100% that uh, in today's business environment, you have to have access to high-speed internet. What I, I disagree with is using uh, tax dollars to do that, and then once it's done, to turn uh, that, that asset that we just spent billions of dollars over to an organization that, again, I'm a CPA, I like to read audit reports, and one of the audit reports I read, uh, the Wait, George- stop. You like to read I know. <laughs> I know. I'm a, I'm a little strange that way. But yeah, financial statements, audit reports, uh, I, I really enjoy kind of, kind of reading that. And uh, the, the Georgia Technology Authority, they, were, they had an audit done. That, that's who's going to get this, this asset once we spend all these billions of dollars on it. The audit report came back so bad that they exempted it from open records requests. I mean, we were just talking about earlier about sunshine laws, about how right. we need to see what's going on. And here we have an agency just arbitrarily So you know what? We don't want the public to know about this. And that kind of stuff has to stop. Well, what do we do statewide to try to incentivize businesses, whether existing or new, to move to Georgia but not pick Atlanta? Yeah. Uh, when it seems to have, it has the infrastructure, it has the airport, it has all these things. Um, and yet we've almost run out of space to build new roads unless we take private property to build new roads. Uh, how do we balance that? Well, what we have to do is be creative and kind of look outside the box, look at some of the new technology, some of the opportunities that currently exist that fit Georgia. Uh, two things come to mind. Uh, we have President Trump that just, through executive order, allowed for offshore drilling. Florida, the south of us, said they don't want to do it. There's other states that are saying they don't want to do that. It's a great opportunity for Georgia to say, you know what? We want to be part of this industri or this uh, energy revolution. We want to help make our country an energy exporter, energy dependent, and we can start drilling offshore while protecting the coast. I know there's a lot of concerns out there about, you know, we want to keep the tourism and, and our, our beaches beautiful. I, I believe we can do both. And then take advantage of that, as well as the agriculture, uh, hemp. Right now, this the country, we import hemp. Georgia is great. Uh, because of the, the agriculture environment and growing the hemp as well as solar. I've talked to some other people out there where the sun that hits Georgia is brighter and, and more powerful than many other places across uh, the country. So if we can have solar farms. So there's, there's opportunities out there. We just have to work with the industries and help them to, to come into Georgia and thrive. You mentioned hemp. One, one of the big issues there regulatory-wise is marijuana. What, what's your position on the expansion of marijuana in the state? I support the expansion of medical marijuana uh, here in, in the state. One of the things that just kind of baffled me, uh, my first session, we voted to legalize the possession of medical marijuana. But we didn't provide a way for them to gain access to it. So you could have it, but you just couldn't, you couldn't get it. It, it, just was, it, it didn't make any sense. So uh, there's, there's families out there, there's people out there that are suffering that believe that they can, can benefit from this, uh, from this plant. And I, I, I believe very strongly that we need to allow for the growing uh, and safe access here in Georgia to those, those people that need medical marijuana. Economically, if you diversify South Georgia, um, we've got a, a block now just because of the way the state Senate and the state house are structured. So many of the votes in the population are Atlanta and North Georgia. How do you get those members of the legislature to focus on those other areas of the state that seem to be lost in so many of these conversations? Well, I can tell you one great way, and that is to elect a governor that has a focus on rural Georgia that understands how to diversify and can take a lead on that. Um, the state of Georgia has one of the most powerful governor's office in the country because of the appointments that they're able to make, because of the, the uh, appropriation process they're able to do. 
And uh, if you elect somebody that can, can kind of focus on that and guide the legislature doing that, I think that would be a great step in the right direction. The third most asked question from listeners uh, in various forms is education. And what do you do to make education a priority in the state? And what issues and avenues of school choice would you support as governor? Well, first of all, we have to eliminate Common Core from the state of Georgia. Um, people out there will say that we don't have Common Core. What they don't understand is what Georgia has done is rebranded Common Core to the Georgia standards. So yes, we don't call it Common Core, mm -hmm. but we have Common Core here in Georgia. Also, I can't talk about education without reminding people that the number one most important success factor of the education of a child is the involvement of the parent. And in today's society, so many parents feel like once their child turns a kindergarten or first grade that they can just kind of send their child off to, to school and then let the, let the government take care of it. So we need to put parents back in control. And that goes back to, to your question about school choice. Um, I am for all of the above when it comes to school choice. We need parents to have, again, that feeling that they have a say. And one of the things that I would eliminate as governor is the uh, Office of Student Achievement of the governor's office. They, they, they're supposed to work tandem with the uh, Board of Education, uh, but uh, we just need to get rid of that and allow the Board of Education to, uh, to handle that. Amanda from Cartersville is a teacher, and she wrote in and she wanted to ask you, um, what is your position on the modification of judging teachers based on standardized tests? She feels like she has to teach the test, and if the curriculum isn't on the test, she has to avoid that part of the curriculum to get the kids ready for yeah. the test. Yeah, uh, again, in fact, I, I was meeting with several educators uh, yesterday down at the Capitol and talking about teacher evaluation and how that needs to be done at the local levels. Uh, people down in Atlanta, we're not in the classroom. We don't necessarily see what's going on. And you, you teach a, a class in Forsyth County, where I'm from, that class is going to be much different than a class maybe in, uh, in downtown Atlanta. And again, we need to give more local control. Uh, and as far as standardized testing, we test way too much. I was talking to one of the administrators in third graders. They're tested 20 days out of the year. It's almost an entire month of testing when you're in third grade. Uh, we, again, we need to reduce a lot of the testing we do right now. What does a Michael Williams administration look like? How would Georgia look different from where it is today when we've had Republican governor for 18 years, a Senate and a House for a decade? What, what does a Michael Williams administration do to transform the state? Well, like I, I mentioned before, I don't mean to sound like a broken record, but it really goes to the crutch of what's going on in our state is I will actually be able to represent the people of Georgia and to do the things that they elected me to do. Um, again, we, we hear candidates who can get up here on the stage, who can travel the state and give all these great speeches and talk about the things that their consultant and the surveys and the, the, the polls say they need to talk about. But once they get elected, they do something completely different. We see it time and time and time again. Uh, the way that we changed that with our president was we elected a president and President Trump that's not beholden to those groups and he's actually able to go into fight for us. And we see that every day. I will be able to do the same thing uh, because I won't be beholden to the lobbyist, special interest, and big corporate that currently control the state legislature. Well, it, that gets in, into a question that I've had of the candidates. We saw, going back to the religious liberty fight, a number of years, various, all, all but one of the candidates now running for governor on the Republican side has said they would support it. And it seemed like it failed in the legislature twice until we got into an election year 
where it passed very quickly so that the governor could veto it, but they could all campaign and say they actually signed it. Um, there just seems to be a cynicism on the part of voters in the state that uh, the legislature plays these games where they pass things knowing the governor will veto them so they can say they voted for them. I mean, why should anyone believe someone in the legislature? <laughs> <laughs> that's, a, that, that's, a, that's a great question. And again, to your point, Casey Cagle has signed that pledge to pass religious freedoms, to pass the, the, the RIFRA bill. That exact bill currently sits in the Senate Rules Committee where it was sent to die. Now, we are in, I think, day 16 of the legislative session. We only have 40 days, and I think it's day 38 is crossover day. So we're coming really short that time where Casey actually has the opportunity to show people that he supports it, uh, where I, I don't think he will, just because, again, he's going to say, well, when I become governor, I'll do it. He doesn't have to do it now. Um, I'm the only candidate right now that actually signed on to that bill that, that put my name on the dotted line and said, I support religious liberties. In fact, uh, there's another bill that I dropped last week uh, the Coach Small Bill, you know, down, down in Coweta County where he was persecuted by an outside organization, the Freedom From Religion Foundation that came in and persecuted him because he had the audacity to bow his head and pray with his students at their request. We had a committee meeting scheduled for tomorrow. We had organizations send out emails to all their supporters saying, let's come, let's show support for this bill. On the way over here, I got a call from the chairman, Lindsey Tippins, that said, we're not going to hear the bill. How fair is that to the people out there that rescheduled their day so they can make a trip down the Capitol only to have it ripped out from underneath them? So, no, I, I don't trust many of the people down Are they there. going to reschedule the hearing? <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. Yeah. I hope so. And if they don't, uh, they're going to hear a lot uh, from me and a lot from the people out there that it's important to. But uh, that, those kind of shenanigans, those kind of tactics, they happen time in and time out underneath the gold dome. And again, it's the lobbyists, especially it's that money that controls that. And until we get somebody that's not beholden that money, we're gonna get the same results. If you're elected governor and you're not beholding that money and everybody in the state legislature still is, mm -hmm. how do you build a coalition to get anything done? Again, like I mentioned before, the governor of the state of Georgia is one of the most powerful because of the appropriations process. He sets the revenue target. He sets the first pass of the budget. And once it goes through the process, he then has line item veto over the budget. So if you want to bring back the bacon for your, uh, your constituencies, you got to kind of play ball with the governor. Also, the appointments, the amount of appointments that the governor of Georgia has is off the chains. Uh, through the appointment process, we can influence different things. So just through the, 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 that position, uh, I would be able to uh, get some of this legislation through. Once, in addition to that, the people. We're out there, I'm out there talking about some of these things that we want to get through. The people in this crowd, the Republicans out there that they want, if I'm out there talking and saying we need to pass this bill, call your legislator, call your senator, call your house representative, they're, you know, they're stopping it. You put the, the, the public pressure that, that, that thought that they might not get elected will make them do it. You mentioned the appointment authority. One of the listeners, let me make sure I get the name right. Um, Eric from Lawrenceville wants to know, uh, what your position would be on a metro-wide transit authority superseding MARTA to try to get some comprehensive transportation plans for the metro area? Yeah, first of all, what we need in Atlanta for mass transit is one single authority. There's way too many authorities down there that are kind of bumping heads, fighting over territory. Um, and before we expand MARTA, I mean, we don't need to expand MARTA until we can get the beltway inside of uh, the 285 perimeter uh, that, that, that mass transit figured out. Because right now you can take the MARTA down to your station, and then where do you go? 
you know, that, that, that kind of last mile, there's, there's really no way to get anywhere. So we got to figure out that last mile inside the Beltway uh, before we expand it. I'm Eric Erickson talking to State Senator Michael Williams. When we come back, we'll wrap up our conversation and see why Michael thinks you should vote for him. Welcome back. It's Eric Erickson here with State Senator Michael Williams running for governor. Michael, you've got about two minutes here. Uh, just make your case to Georgians. Um, why should they vote for you as opposed to anyone else in this race? Yeah. Well, well again, it, it kind of goes back to what we've been talking about this entire hour is I am not bought and paid for by the lobbyist special interest in, in big corporations. And what that allows me to do is actually represent the people of Georgia. And to kind of put uh, a story to that, we all heard of the Cherokee County teacher. In fact, you and I had a, 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 a phone conversation about that on, on the radio. Um, they kicked out two students for an Make America Great Again shirt. And we demanded those teachers be fired because had those students been wearing uh, Obama or Hillary shirts and they got kicked out, the teacher had been fired, no questions asked. Uh, it took the, uh, the school board months to finally come to, re to a resolution, but it was because we actually protested and demanded that the teacher be fired, and that protest garnered all kinds of hate mail it, uh, from, from the media, from the left, even from members of the Republican Party. But I was able to, to stand up, I was able to uh, defend our First Amendment rights and the rights of those students, and I can do that because I'm not beholden to those groups. In fact, one of my opponents was talking to uh, uh, some of my supporters and, and some of their supporters, and they said, he can't do what Michael Williams does. Straight up said that. And again, it's because of who is donating to him. And okay. if Michael Williams is elected governor, does Georgia get a religious freedom Absolutely, bill? absolutely. I've, I've signed on to that, and I've also uh, presented the, the Coach Small bill as well. What happens when the NCAA, the NFL, and everyone else comes screaming into Georgia that you've done this? If we create an environment where business flourishes, where they can come in, they can make a profit, and it's economically viable for them to be here, they'll come. And what we need is a governor that is willing to call their bluff and stand up against them. What keeps Michael Williams up at night? <laughs> um, I actually say that as part of my, my speech whenever I go around. What keeps me up at night is the thought of me sitting back and doing nothing as I just watch our country being torn apart because of special interest lobbyists, because of politicians that are too scared to not get elected to actually represent the people and fight for what we believe in. Michael Williams, good luck on the campaign trail. Thank, Thank you. you. My pleasure.